0: Hello, and welcome to Champagne and Murder, Please. I am your host, Brittany, and that over there in the cage in the corner... Little old me. ...is Vanessa. How are you, Ness? Not too bad. How are you? Not too bad, after not sleeping very much last night, both yeah, of us. <laughs> I know. I don't know what the hell's going on. Something weird. Something just, weird's happening.
1: Just couldn't sleep. Got that hour and a half nap, but that's it. <laughs> at least you got a nap so there's that and you got like a few minutes here a few minutes there
0: yeah i i maybe equaled out to an hour or so i packed out a couple minutes today at different times so i was able to to get maybe a half an hour total thanks thea (laughs) hopefully
1: hopefully i crash out tonight but watch i'm gonna get home and catch a second wind and be up forever
0: oh yeah and you'll be texting me. It'll be fine.
1: <laughs> are you still awake too?
0: And if I don't answer, it's because my phone goes into automatic night-night time mode. Anyway, what are we drinking? It is a cupcake rosé sparkling. Typically, it's twelve to fifteen bucks. I saw it at Target, as well as Walmart, and I think Meyer has it too. It was like twelve ninety nine at Target, so. Um the grapes for this sparkler are harvested at night to ensure they remain cold, which leads to optimal ripeness and acidity. Mm-hmm. So that's why it tastes so good. You can serve it with prosciutto wrapped honeydew melon or an arugula salad, or while listening to your favorite podcast, which is this one. hmm You're welcome. <laughs> so go ahead and try that one out, see what you think. Uh what are you listening to, Ness? Well, same thing. Same diff. Yes.
1: What? <laughs> same diff. <laughs> same diff. Trying to listen to all of obituary. I think I'm on 25.
0: Oh my goodness. I think. You got a long way to go.
1: Yeah. They're still talking about COVID and stuff. I'm like. Yeah. I'm like, man.
0: Jeez, <laughs> like, that was, that was that long ago? Like,
1: or they'll t- talk about like, this happened. Oh yeah, that was last year. And I was like. What year was that? <laughs> but what year, I don't year know are when you in? This, this episode was recorded. <laughs> like whatever.
0: But. I don't know. What else have you been up to? Uh, we besides oh. trying to escape the cage,
1: finally started working on some pieces for the art
0: show. That's next weekend. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't submit anything this time. So. I didn't even get you a skate deck. That's okay. <laughs> All the crap going on. There's always next year. It's not what we said last year. Yeah, then the year that before is exactly what we said last year yeah. and the year before. Like,
1: Damn it, but that's okay. I don't. I don't even know if I'm gonna finish anything in time, but I'm gonna try. I've already. I've got two cuts already on my left hand from nice. like trying to like <laughs> carve out little pieces here and there that that I can't get with Dremel or something. Yeah. And. When I went after I got out of the shower, I went to put my toner on my face. Mm-hmm. Completely forgot about this one,
0: Ooh. so I'm like,
1: and I it was like home alone. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> so I just like. I can my see you doing that there. in your mirror too. <laughs> I'm like, <"Aah!" laughs>
1: and I just run it under and I opened it a little because it stung so bad. Like oh. get out of
0: there so I'm like alright. That's awful. So I guess I'll put my lotion on like this <laughs> make sure it'll touch with this finger. Like you're like you're a little old lady yeah. and just patting it on your face. I think I did it with
1: just my right hand actually. I was like
0: I'm not gonna risk it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so I've got this one on my palm too. Oh jeez. This one was with a, a flat head when I was trying to pry oh, my piece god. off and then this was an actual like like almost like an exacto knife. Oh my god. I'm like I'm gonna I'm going to chop off a finger you one should, of these days. You should probably
0: be more careful. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I hurt myself. Pot,
0: meat, kettle. Every time. <laughs> every time. I have no time. room to talk, so. Yeah.
1: I can't say shoot. You should probably be careful.
0: You should probably be careful. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, getting on a ladder today that was wobbly as fuck, just to put something away oh my in God. the you're, loft. You're like, I'll be fine. I was like, it's fine. Just Hopefully. keep walking. <laughs> Hopefully. Like, if you lose your balance, it's okay. It's not that far to fall. Jesus. It's fine. It starts to go, you're like, well. whoop!" Well, this is how happens. the day ends. <laughs> <Here I go. laughs> well, my stepdad fell off of, I think it was like 15 feet. Whoa. And broke his back. Oh! When my brother was like a junior, senior in high school. It must have been when he was a junior. Mm. And... Then he used my stepdad's tortoise shell back brace. Yeah. In his Mr. GK pageant.
1: <laughs> for what? Or
0: what? I don't remember. it had like a superhero logo on it. I okay. Think. And I think he like pulled his shirt open and it revealed the this turtle shell back brace <laughs> with a superhero <laughs> logo painted on the front of it. Well, that's hilarious. So it got it got a bunch of use out of it. Yeah. So at least there was that. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I can think about when I get on ladders now. <laughs> is my stepdad's back brace, and oh I feel God. really bad. Damn, <laughs> but then I laugh. He because, broke his back. Yeah. No, thank you. No. I feel like my back is broken when I wake up every day, so I can't imagine it actually being broken. Uh-uh. No. No.
1: Like, how long can you not do anything? Or what did he? What you said to be really careful. Or I, I don't
0: remember. I feel like stiff <laughs> you have to turn your whole body exactly like move what?
1: <laughs> you need well, a swivel chair Was that
0: yeah. <laughs> you need a swivel chair everywhere you go exactly just so you can spin around real quick are you talking to me are you saying something to me he wasn't paying attention <laughs> let me bring my chair let me bring my chair if i can't bring my chair i'm not going exactly <laughs> Yeah, I don't remember what all he had to do. I know he had physical therapy and stuff like that, but I don't remember what it was like because I didn't live in the house oh, at the time. Oh, yeah. So, I don't really remember what he had to do, but he's yeah. better now. That's good. My uncle fell off a ladder, too, so... It just apparently runs in the family.
1: I feel like my dad might have also... Was my dad? I can't remember. Is that why
0: he's so short? Did he fall on his head? <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, this was... Within the last, like, 10 years, I want to say. Really? If it was him. Maybe it was one of my uncles. I don't even know anymore.
0: (laughs) Somebody fell off a leg. Somebody fell. But they're okay But it wasn't,
1: yeah, but it wasn't anything bad, like, too bad. Yeah. So, no, like, back breaking. It wasn't, like, 15 feet. I think
0: he just broke a couple vertebrae. But I don't, I don't remember. I can't remember. I can't remember what I did yesterday. I don't know why anybody's asking me about that. I can't either. Oh, wait, because I started it.
1: I'm not going to remember like next year.
0: (laughs) Next year we'll remember. (laughs) And And they'll be like, hey, remember when? Nope. (laughs) Nope. No idea what you're talking about. Well, we have um, some pretty awful stories today. Yeah. And I apologize in advance, especially to (laughs) Nessa, (laughs) who has to actually participate. But what do you say? How about we crack into it? I mean, do I have a choice? Nope.
1: <laughs> you're stuck in my basement.
0: You gotta do what I say. All right. Can if you we want least yard time a, tomorrow. Can we
1: at least open the cage door? Maybe. All right. If you're good. Okay, I'll be good. Ronald Gene Simmons was born July 15th, 1940 in Chicago, Illinois, to Loretta and William Simmons. Just three years later, William would die of a stroke. Mhm. Yeah. Shortly after that, Loretta married a man named William Griffin, who was a civil engineer with the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers.
0: She likes guys named Bill, huh? Oh, uh, yeah. I didn't even realize that. Hmm. <laughs> so
1: bad with names. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I already forgot the name. Just so anyway. What's his name? Billion? Billium. Griffin was transferred to Little Rock AR. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Madison. Just kidding, just kidding. <laughs> Little Rock, Arkansas. <laughs> in 1947, Ronald dropped out of high school at age 17, and he joined the U.S. Navy. He was stationed at the Bremerton Naval Station in Washington, where he met Becky Ulibari. So, so he's a seaman. It? Yeah, Ulibar, he, he is a seaman. <laughs> seaman. And the two married in New Mexico in July of 1960. In 1963, Ronald left the Navy and joined the Air Force. Oh, switching it up, huh? guess so. All right. Ronald spent a total of 22 years in the military and was awarded a Bronze Star, the, Repu- the Republic of Vietnam Cross, and the Air Force Ribbon for Excellent Marksmanship. Hmm. Ronald retired on November 30th, 1979 as a master sergeant of the U.S. Air Force. Very nice. Just a year into their marriage, Ronald and Becky welcomed their first child, Ronald Gene Simmons Jr. <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> and two <laughs> and two years later, Sheila Marie was born. Ah. Oh. Over the next 16 years, they added five more to the family. Mm. Mm-hmm. And get their own little team going. No kidding, like my cousin, <laughs> <laughs> like my those two of my cousin shit. Oh jeez, it's okay, Ivan and Sergio and whoever else. <laughs> they don't listen, Cynthia, <laughs> all you guys. All right, um, so yeah, five more to the family: Oof. William or Billy or Billiam. Billiam, it's Billiam. Loretta, Eddie. Marianne,
0: and Rebecca Lynn. Okay, so they have another Becky. Becky. And they have another Ronald. Yeah. And then didn't they do his parents' names? Uh, William and Loretta? Yes. Oh, my God. William and Loretta. William and Loretta. I mean, that's that's kind of sweet to pay tribute to your parents, I guess. Oh, wait, that wasn't a junior. I would have done middle names. I just thought about... (laughs) One of my
1: cousins, um, his wife, um, their daughter's name also has also the same name, but it's spelled with a with a K instead of a C. It's Claudia. Actually, I think Claudia might be his wife's middle name, but we just call her Claudia. So, oh. never, so never mind. <laughs>
0: Cool story, bro. Forget no. I so forget I <laughs> said that. <laughs> I'm like,
1: wait a minute. Never mind. They don't have the same first name, so she's not a junior. Okay, she's not a junior. <laughs> she's not a Claudia junior.
0: She's not Claudia junior. <laughs> it's
1: okay. I wanted to start calling her junior too. I'm like, wait, shit. Never mind. Can't do that. I'm just gonna do it anyway. You should. <sighs> so, where was I? Where I go losing my place again? Um, the children's names as per usual sh- Okay. So Ronald was a, was a private but controlling man. He would order the children around with many chores like building a fortress wall out of their out of cinder blocks. So they could keep out unwanted guests. Oh. Yeah.
0: Okay.
1: Can you imagine that? Are there dragons <laughs> coming? Yes. <laughs> Even the smallest children had to help. Oh. I just I like how old. that it was a fortress. <laughs> and the the <laughs> The Simmons house was never without something needing to be done. Sounds familiar. Room, like, almost all
0: houses? Or is it just ours? And just ours, apparently. Uh, by
1: the time Sheila was 13, she was all Ronald Sr. could think about. Ugh. Ooh. It's up. All right. I apologize, but yeah, now we get into it. I apologize to you. And at age 17, he began to molest her. And yeah. not even a year later, Sheila was pregnant by her father. Gross. Right? That's not how so this game up, works, like, guys. Why? How? Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> I don't understand. Ronald confessed um, his relationship to his family and demanded they keep the baby and raise it as part of the family.
0: Oh. Okay, then.
1: Becky was humiliated, but she chose to stay with her husband. Probably because she's terrified of him. Right. The Department of Human Services in Cloudcroft and M... <laughs> <laughs> and, um, all right, Madison, <laughs> started an investigation into the allegations of incest in April, 1981. In order to avoid being arrested, Ronald fled to Ward, Arkansas in late 1981 and then into Dover, Arkansas in 1983. Hmm. His new home was made up of two trailer homes joined together as one. And set on thirteen acres of land without a phone or indoor plumbing. Ooh, I wonder like, I wonder what trailer
0: was, was <laughs> like. Was it like like were they trailers? Were they actual like mobile? Yeah, homes? or was it like or two trailers? Like, yeah, dude, like, camping trailers. Yeah, hmm.
1: Just trying to picture it. Um, okay. No wonder no indoor plumbing. So they would have to dig. Privy pits for the, I gotta get a new phone, for the outhouses, and guess who, or, and guess who he he made dig them? Mm, The children. That is correct. (laughs) I'm so good at this game. He held a few low-paying jobs in the nearby town of Russellville, but he was still struggling financially. By the summer of 1987, Ronald's mind was in a murderous fog. Right. Right. The oldest three children, Gene Jr., Sheila, and Billy, had all gotten married and were living in different cities raising their children. But ever since Sheila had left, Ronald had fallen deeper into a depression. Ugh. Sheila's husband, Dennis McNulty. I almost said McNutty. (laughs) Dennis. i really need to get this new phone dude this <laughs> screen is so bad okay sorry dennis, dennis mcnulty no, Mac, mcnulty had known what ronald had done to sheila mm. dennis threatened to hurt ronald if he ever touched her again
0: good right
1: the daughter sheila had with her father sylvia gale was treated by dennis as his own child oh that's awesome After he lost control over Sheila, Ronald became more controlling over his wife and the younger kids still living at home. Oh, great. No one was allowed to go anywhere or do anything. He was even monitoring his wife's mail. Seriously? (sighs) Get a hobby, bro. All right. Becky wanted to leave badly, but was afraid that the outcome, or afraid of what the outcome would be.
0: Yeah, understandable. right.
1: Since Ronald... She's probably been wanting to leave for a while. Yeah. Probably
0: since her daughter was 13.
1: Yeah. Since Ronald was reading his wife's mail, Gene Jr. got his mother a P.O. box in secret so she could communicate with them without Ronald knowing. Ah, smart. They wrote to each other. It's like, I'm going to get you this burner phone. (laughs) Like these days, you know? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Text me on this one, but only
0: after 9 p.m. (laughs) That's when it's free. They
1: wrote to each other a lot, mostly about plans for Becky to leave. She had started sleeping in the rooms with the kids, and Ronald would stay locked in his room when he wasn't at work. Yeah. During this time, Ronald was plotting to kill his family. Great. Just days before Christmas, 1987, Ronald started his killing spree. With Uh-oh. it finally coming to an end on December twenty eighth, in Arkansas on December twenty eighth, Ronald walked into a law firm and fatally shot a secretary. He then went to an oil company, a convenience store, and lastly his former workplace at the Woodline Motor Freight, where he or sh- shots were f- also fired. Mm. His whole rampage lasted forty five minutes, and when it was over, Ronald had killed two people and had wounded four others. After he fatally shot officer, or, I'm sorry, (laughs) office manager Joyce Butts at the woodline motor Freight, Ronald surrendered to the secretary uh, who worked there. He said, he said to her, I've gotten everybody who wanted to hurt me. So this guy was paranoid. Yeah, no kidding. (laughs) He waited for the police and he handed over his gun when they got there without any resistance but the most ghastly of the crimes committed by Ronald hadn't yet been discovered and was already days old. When officers couldn't reach Ronald's family by phone, two officers drove to his very isolated home located in the foothills of the Ozarks. It was here, lying next to the wrapped Christmas gifts, under a decorated tree, where the corpses of 12 of Ronald's family members were found. 12 12 12 12 Oh my god. It's crazy. So 12 family members. Ugh. Each one was covered up with a coat. And later deputy, deputies located Ronald's two grandsons wrapped in plastic sheeting and and hidden in in abandoned cars that had been parked nearby.
0: Ugh.
1: It was then that investigators realized that Ronald had begun his killing spree a week before with his own family.
0: Mm. Mm -hmm. Goosebumps.
1: On the morning of December 22nd, Ronald shot his wife and his oldest son using a 22 caliber pistol. Next, he strangled his three-year-old granddaughter. (sighs) This guy had some issues. Issues. Because, holy shit. I mean, we're not done yet. He then waited for the other four kids who had been living in the home at the time to return. When the kids arrived, Ronald told them he had presents for them. Oh, God. He killed them all in the same way, one at a time, by strangulation and holding them underwater in a rain barrel. What the fuck? That guy is... Ugh. On December 26th, the remaining family members showed up for the annual Christmas visit. When Ronald's son, Billy, and wife, Renata, got there, he shot them both before strangling their 20-month-old son. Oh, gosh. How? I don't know how you could do that. He did the same thing with his eldest daughter, Sheila, her husband and child. Mm -hmm. The last victim was Ronald's 21-month-old grandson, Michael. So many little... uh, So many little people. I mean, it doesn't even matter, but... It's not right either way. Yeah. Ronald then dumped seven of his family members' bodies in the backyard, leaving the rest in the house and covering them up with coats. After that, Ronald went to the local bar and had himself a drink. What? When he came back to the house, he watched TV and drank a beer, surrounded by the corpses of his family members. What? He's probably talking to them, too. Oh, my God. The spree went on... The spree went on the morning of December 28th. He drove to Russellville and killed 24-year-old Secretary Kathy Kendrick at the office of Peel and Eddy Law Firm. He shot her four times in the head. Jesus. Not just once. Four times. That's personal. That's excessive. That's personal. Next was the Taylor Oil Company. He shot the owner, Rusty Taylor, who survived... And an employee named Jim, how do we say that? Jim? Chaff- Ch- Jim Chaffin. Chaffin. Chaff- Chaffin. <laughs> Chaffin. Sorry, Jim. Sorry, uh, Jim. We tried, um, and Jim did not survive. No. On his way to the third destination, uh, frightened workers from the oil company had called the police at the Sinclair Mini Mart. He shot two employees, both of whom survived. Oh, good. And his last stop was Woodline Motor Freight, where he shot Bryce or Joyce Butts. <laughs> I think I was gonna say Bryce Joyce. I don't know. Bryce Joyce. Joyce Butts. He said to the secretary, "I just wanted to kill Joyce, just Joyce." What? Okay. Ronald Gene Simmons was already in a cell in a cell at a location, or I'm sorry, at a local de- de- at a local detention center. I cannot. That's okay. Today. When police showed up at his Dover home to find the bodies of his family, Ronald went to the Arkansas State Hospital in Little Rock for for a competency evaluation where he was found sane and capable of stand trial. How?
0: Right? That's my only question. How?
1: I don't know. Cause doesn't any seem person like any who early... did that yeah. is not sane. Like how? Not sane. Ronald had two trials... After his first one, he was convicted on May 12, 1988 for the deaths of Kendrick and, and Chaffin. Two days after that, he was sentenced to death by lethal injection, plus 147 years. Good. He didn't even try to appeal. Then-Governor then, then Governor Bill Clinton signed Ronald's execution warrant. The second trial concluded on February tenth, 1989. Ronald was also found guilty of 14 counts of capital murder- for the deaths of his family members. Jeez. Ronald was to be put to death on March eight or March sixteenth, nineteen eighty-nine, and in his final trial hearing he said, In my particular case, anything short of death would be cruel and unusual punishment. What? Ronald chose lethal injection himself as the method of execution. Huh. John Harris, one of the defense attorneys, said he was ready to die. He was at peace with it. He wanted it. It sounds like it. Harris said, why didn't he just, you know? Off himself. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just leave. I don't know. Yeah. Harris said of Ronald's abused family, I think he felt like they're going to take him out. He's going to take him out first. I think that was his mindset.
0: Like, yeah, nobody knows annoying. what to think, you know? No. Like, um, it doesn't make any sense. Like,
1: that's what I thought it was like, so this guy's just being paranoid. Yeah. Something. But
0: apparently he was right in the head. <laughs>
1: well. Or enough that. to stand trial, anyway. Right enough to stand trial. But Harris also said that there was more than one person to blame. If authorities had been successful in arresting Ronald back in 1981 on accusations of abusing his daughter, the murders likely wouldn't have happened. Prosecutors at the time said they had dropped the charges at the family's request. Hmm. No one claimed Ronald's body, so he was buried in a common grave.
0: Oh, so
1: sad. Womp womp. She just thrown him womp in and and in the ocean. I don't know.
0: <laughs> just let him rot somewhere. Give him to the piranhas. Well, thank you for that. I mean, You're not, welcome. Not thank you, but... <laughs> like, you're welcome. Thank you for suffering through that. Thank you for... Letting me, allowing. All right. So my story starts with author John Ronson writing, "quote, Maysbrook, Shrop, I'm going to say this wrong. Shropshire is a beautiful, well-to-do village on the Welsh borders." The houses are vine-covered Georgian mansions. Georgian? Georgian?
1: <laughs> eh.
0: The cars parked in the driveways are Range Rovers and Porsches. The people of Maysbrook are, by and large, self-made millionaires from Birmingham and Wolverhampton. Entrepreneurs who've made it big, end quote. The Foster family lived in a three-story mansion that sat on 16 acres of land and included a barn, a horse-riding paddock, and a lake in Maybrook. The family hadn't always been well off and they didn't come into their fortune until 1988 when Christopher Foster invented and patented a new chemical formula for oil rig insulation. The invention was much needed after the Piper Alpha oil platform exploded in 1987 and killed 167 people. Some of the articles I read said um, 1988, Hmm. not 1987, but Around (laughs) then. Yeah, around that time. Chris had been an ordinary salesman from Burnley until his Eureka moment in 1988. And by 1996, he had invented and patented a product called, I'm going to say this wrong, Yulva Shield, which was complete with a five-star safety rating. That's when orders began pouring in and the company's fortunes skyrocketed. Flush with success, it wasn't long before Chris started living and dressing like the millionaire he had become. Chris Foster presented the image of a loving husband and devoted father. The neighbors remember him always laughing and cuddling with his bubbly 49-year-old wife, Jill, and how he doted on his 15-year-old horse-mad daughter, Christy. It was reported that by 2008, Jill Foster's dream house was filled with 200,000 pounds worth of antiques, Pounds as in money. Sorry. We're, we are over the... I mean, across either, the pond. Like, either way. Either way. <laughs> it's heavy. And Chris had begun collecting classic cars. This collection included two his and hers Porsches, an Aston Martin, and Jill's 4x4 with her personalized license plate, along with a tractor. A tractor? Yeah. And also with his car collection, the family also owned three horses, four dogs, and an unknown number of doves. Oh, He spent hundreds of thousands of dollars, well, pounds, on a gun collection as well. Although the man was smart, hence his invention, he was not a great businessman. A judge later described Chris as, quote, bereft of the basic instincts of commercial morality and not to be trusted, end quote. So that's pretty damning. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. In 1993, the couple had a daughter they named Christy Louise. She grew up with a deep love for horses, so the family had three of them by the time Christy was 15. Jesus. What seemed to be the picture-perfect couple was just a lie. Some said that Chris had as many as eight mistresses at one time. Wow. Who has the energy? How do you remember everything? <laughs> like, Who has the energy? Calling like the wrong name? <laughs> At the end of the day, I'm so sort of, I'm done. Right? Like, there's no way. Right. Not that I would do it anyway, but seriously. I have not have energy for one person. <laughs> I, know. Right? I think. Shit. It has also been reported that both Jill and Chris were having extramarital affairs. And Chris's personal assistant, though, claimed the couple had an open marriage, but since neither of them is alive to say whether or not that's true, mm-hmm. it remains firmly in the realm of speculation. Despite Chris's award-winning invention raking in the money, the family's lavish lifestyle cost more than the invention could earn, and the family was living primarily off their credit cards. In an attempt to shore up his bank account, Chris was happy to cut corners, and he entered into a contract with a company named DRC. The agreement they had gave DRC the exclusive right to manufacture his invention, and in 2004, Chris was worth 10 million pounds, which today would be 16,872,215 pounds. Damn. Yeah. That's, that's a lot. <clears throat> I was going to convert it to dollars, and then I forgot. So, sorry. <laughs> Math geniuses, you go for it. Unfortunately, this wouldn't last, as not even a full year later, the family spending once again surpassed their income. Right? What are they getting? I don't know. Just a bunch of crap they don't need? Which left Chris to scramble to earn more. So he decided to try and break ties with DRC, but they took legal action against him, and they took over his patent, and they made it a global success. Without him. And thus, the wheels of his downfall were set into motion. In September 2007, Chris's company went into compulsory liquidation, and he lost his salary completely. And a 3 million pound freeze was placed on his assets. And to top it all off, Chris also owed inland revenue nearly 1 million pounds. Throughout this rapid decline of his money, Chris maintained one of his hobbies, clay pigeon shooting. It was this hobby that permitted him to own guns in the UK, and it nurtured his need to be the best, to beat the competition. It is unclear how much his family actually knew about their circumstances now that Chris had no income, but his friends remained in the dark while Chris kept up his facade. He would be seen at social gatherings bragging to friends that he had a multi-million pound business deal in the works. Of liar, liar. Pants, Pants on, on fire. fire. <laughs> Andrew, Chris's brother, later revealed, quote, Jill used to say he was a control freak. He had to be in control of things totally, end quote. He also claimed that Chris would sexually abuse him when they were younger. Don't know why they thought thought to throw that in, but yeah. sure, why not? Behind Chris's big smile and warm handshake, his mind was in a very dark place. Now, he had no business to look after, and his 16-acre property was the only thing left to occupy his time. So he kept the grounds immaculate and moved his tractor from one spot to another. Okay, <laughs> I mean, if you got nothing else to do... <laughs> Just move it over here. <laughs> come to my house. I got plenty of shit for you to do. Okay. Moving the tractor. Yeah. Oops, oh, sorry, I can't do it today. I'm moving the tractor. <clears throat> As he wandered around his property, his thoughts dwelled on his predicament and his fears of the unbearable shame that would come when the truth was finally exposed. A friend of Chris, Chris's texted him asking if he was okay, to which Chris replied, quote, not really. I think everything's coming to a head for me, end quote. Chris would also say to friends that they should look after Jill and Christy if he quote-unquote topped himself okay. but they all thought that he was joking how many times do we have to say right. it doesn't matter if it's a joke or not it's not funny mm-hmm. by 2008 chris had remortgaged his mansion three times and had 20 different bank accounts wow one of which had been overdrawn by three hundred and thirty thousand pounds Chris was staring down personal bankruptcy oh. at the beginning of the year. Chris Man. had told his general practitioner that he was feeling suicidal and was given antidepressants. Chris told a business associate, quote, they're not having my stuff. I will top myself. They will carry me out of the house in a box, end quote, which was the first hint of what was to come. Besides telling his practitioner, he was feeling suicidal, but you know, it's okay. Yeah. In July of 2008, Chris narrowly escaped death. He was out on his tractor when all of a sudden he decided to reverse for no reason. A massive branch as big as a tree broke off the willow tree and crashed down in the exact spot where Chris had just been parked. I feel like he should have been parked in that spot. (laughs) Yeah. So this could all be avoided. But that's just me. In August, the housekeeper found that bailiffs had pinned a letter to the house gates warning that they would be there on September 2nd to repossess all of his possessions. Mm. The week before August 25th, Chris was looking at websites dealing with suicide and had been looking at family photo albums. Excuse me. It is unclear, however, if the events that happened on the 26th had been planned at this point. At around 11.30 p.m., Chris told Christy to go to bed. And at, at around 3 a.m., Chris attached a silencer to a 22 caliber rifle after his wife and daughter went to bed. The exact timeline is not clear, but it's believed that Chris shot Jill in the back of her head while she had been sleeping, before he went across the hall and shot Christy in the same manner. He then poured an estimated 200 gallons of heating oil around the mansion, spreading it with soaked rags to make sure that the fire took hold. It was 3.09 when he set the fire... To the house. He then went on to kill all the family animals. What? I know this is the part that I should have warned you about. Sorry. He shot the horses and dogs in the heads. And he even killed the ducks and chickens. He jammed Ooh. the horse box, which is, it's like an RV. Um, but it's to haul horses. Mm-hmm. So it's not just a horse trailer. It has the actual like vehicle attached to it. Oh, okay. So he jammed that against the front gate and shot out the tires. He also removed the keys. He did both in hopes of stopping anyone from intervening. So then he returned to the house, which was now engulfed in flames, and laid next to Jill's body. He held the loaded gun, but he didn't shoot himself. The smoke inhalation killed him before he could do it and before the flames could reach him. The neighbors called 999 The first of 12 fire crews to arrive got there at 4.29 a.m., but after moving the horse box to gain access to the home, they weren't able to stop the flames from spreading. It took three days for the firefighters to extinguish the fire, and the heat coming from the house was so intense that the first responders could not even attempt to enter the home. All of the evidence had been turned to ashes. And even four days later the remains of the mansion were still smoldering. By five days after the murders, investigators were finally able to enter the home despite the risk of falling debris. They found two bodies laid top to tail together, and they concluded later that they had died on the same bed and it had collapsed three floors down to the ground floor fireplace. Yeah. Over that weekend, one of the bodies was identified as Jill Foster, meaning the other was Chris, and Christie's body was found that Monday. Bailiffs arrived on that next Tuesday to collect the items to pay off Chris's debt, but they found that he had left them nothing to collect. <laughs> right? The chilling tragedy shocked the nation, and people tried to make sense of what had happened. A once-successful businessman had been so ashamed of his failings that he destroyed everything he loved and owned before ending his own life. In the days after the tragedy amongst the cards and flowers left by the gate was a note saying quote, "money is the root to all evil" end quote. and the note seemed to sum up the sentiments of many of the bereaved he had been an average man who achieved something special he had invented something so great it made him a millionaire and he shouldn't have had to worry about money ever again but instead he was hooked on to the vice-like trappings of materialism and vanity And once he had a taste of the good life, he was addicted, and no matter how much debt he got into, he wanted more. Until his creditors hounded him into a corner and he couldn't escape. And that is Chris Foster. Family Annihilator. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to Champagne and Murder, Please. We really do appreciate you guys, and we love doing this for you.
1: Yes we do.
0: Vanessa especially because she gets to get out of her cage. I have no, no. Yeah I don't really have a choice but <laughs> I like it. <laughs> no choice but she loves it. Yeah. So if you guys could share like, rate, review, subscribe, all those things all of it. We would really appreciate that. Follow. Follow, follow, follow. follow, follow, follow. <laughs> Especially on TikTok. Especially on TikTok so much fun on there. We can circle and then you guys can see the disaster that yeah. we are. <laughs> yes. Um, But yeah. Um, I hope you guys have a great weekend. I hope you have a great next week and we will talk to you next week. And until then, stay, stay safe, safe and, and don't, don't take candy, candy from, from strangers. strangers. Goodbye. Bye.